my name's Becky. If we haven't met before, I'm married to Paul, who's the vicar here. He should be in a plane on the way back from Sweden as I'm speaking. So he's been there for New Wine Sweden, having a great time, I hope, um, I think. Um, but he'll be back later tonight. But that's who I am. Now, last week, we kicked off a new series that we're doing um, on the period of Israel's history that's known as the Restoration. This is as they came back from their time in exile. It sounds technical, I know, but Tom spoke last week and he helpfully set the scene for us. And if you weren't here, I'd recommend go to the website or Spotify, I believe we can do now, Taryn, go to Spotify and listen to it because it lays the foundation for the rest of the series. And as well as doing that very helpfully, Tom also covered the theme of opposition, which the Israelites were experiencing a lot of, and let's face it, so do we. And so it's good that tonight our theme is encouragement. The Israelites needed it, and so do we. Now we heard last week as we looked at the book of Ezra that there were two prophets. Those are people who speak for God. God sent these two. We see at the beginning of Ezra chapter 5, it says, Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, we always have to get that, it's like their surname, and Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. And it's the first of those prophets that we're going to turn to this evening. But before we do that, I want to think about the situation they were speaking to a bit more. See, it's like this. Now, I'm sure we are all familiar with the disappointment that comes when reality doesn't live up to our expectations. It happens to us pretty much every day. It could be in a small thing. For example, I don't know if you've experienced what I've experienced in the last week of really looking forward to going home for lunch because you know there's leftovers from the night before and you really enjoyed the meal and you can't wait to go home and eat and you get hungrier and hungrier and then you go home, open the fridge, and it's gone. And that is such a disappointment. Um, And you go, oh, now you've got to change your whole mind, what you're going to eat. That's a small example. Um, But it also happens in the significant life-changing things as well. But another example of one of the smaller things, and this never ceases to amuse me, is a purchase that my husband Paul made from Amazon. Now, Paul, a lot of you know him. He is a think-it-do-it sort of person. So online shopping does very well by him. Think it, do it. Have an idea? Order it. And a few years ago, there was someone he was helping through something, and he wanted to give them um, a copy of this superb classic book, Boundaries, by Cowden Townsend. Um, It's a really great book, full of information. So the process for him goes, have the thought, order, now just the agony of waiting for delivery, even with Prime, you still have to wait. However, in the process of think it, do it, he didn't read the small print, and what turned up was this. (laughs) And I laughed so hard when he came in and he went, look, and I said, what what is that? Why? Why did you get that? I mean, it's cute, but come on. I hate clutter, you know, I hate anything unnecessary. And and then he told me the story that he'd ordered it. He thought he was getting a full-size book to give to someone, but this is what he got. Now, he's not the only one, I think, so now that's what you see when you try to order it. You get a little picture that tells you it actually can fit in the palm of your hand. So that was an example of definitely, you know that online shopping, sometimes what you expect is not what you get. Um, Needless to say, he didn't give that to the person. That's why I still have it as an illustration. 
he went and ordered the full-size one. Um, yeah. But an example, that's a small example, but an example of a more significant occasion of reality not living up to expectations was my experience when I moved to the UK. I'm from America. Paul and I met uh, both when we, were when we were 21. And we met, fell in love, obviously. I mean, here I am. But, um, but when we met, we then spent a lot of time. I was only in the country for eight weeks, and then I went back to America. Um, but we both spent a lot of time. We prayed really hard about whether it was the right decision for us to get married. Because that would mean me relocating to England. Now, marriage is a big, life-changing decision, um, as is changing country. So during our long-distance relationship, we talked to each other, obviously, but also we both talked to God about it a lot. For me, it wasn't a, please show me what to do, God. Help me get it right, God. I want to move, but what about the things I'll leave behind, God? What's it going to be like, God? I, God, what should I do? What should I do? That's what I was like every day, all the time. And after many months of that, I think God had had enough. So I can remember it so clearly. One day I was sitting on the edge of my bed, putting on my shoes, telling him about it all again, and I heard what I can only describe as a voice, except it wasn't an out loud voice, but it was a voice that came from the corner of my room. And it cut straight through my frantic prayers, and it said with great authority, I will use you and Paul together for my kingdom. Well, I can tell you, that stopped me and my thoughts in their tracks. And I had a moment of clarity that, of course, God cared about me personally, but he has a much bigger agenda, which is his kingdom, than my personal agenda, which was, let's face it, my happiness. So encouraged, and if I'm honest, a little daunted by that word from the Lord, I eventually made the decision to leave the life I'd lived so far behind and embark on a new one. Paul and I got married, and eight weeks later, he was ordained, and we moved to the world for his curacy. And I wish I could tell you that it was all butterflies and sunshine from day one. But the truth is, it was mostly tears and clouds. And I do mean lots of tears from me and lots of clouds from the Irish Sea. Now, I hasten to say, I never, I even say this when he's not here, I never regretted marrying Paul, ever. But I was terribly homesick. I felt completely out of place, and I lost all sense of who I was. And the truth is, I blamed God for making it so. He might have been using Paul for his kingdom, but my thinking went, if this was, idea of, if this was his idea of using me, I wasn't interested. However, fast forward, and all's well that ends well. Here I am, 27 years later, longer than some of you have been alive, walking in the fulfillment of that word that God had spoken to me so many years before. And what I've realized as I've gone on in life, and I'm reminded of again and again, is that as human beings, we're pretty self-centered. And our default is to think of ourselves in the here and now. While God is always, always thinking nations and generations. And keeping that in mind is for us kind of like reading the small prints or the terms and conditions of giving our lives to God. When we choose to follow Jesus, we get so much. We get everything we need. But because our focus can tend to be so small, some of what we walk through doesn't seem to match up with what we feel we were promised. But the reality is so much greater than we can get our heads around. If we could see from God's perspective, it would blow our tiny little minds, yes, but also it would all begin to make sense. 
And I think the Jews must have felt the same way when they returned to Jerusalem back in the fifth century BC. As the people of God, they had certain expectations of what he should be doing for them. But they just spent years in exile and were now returning to rebuild a broken and a desolate land. They'd begun work on the new temple, but after making a start, because of the opposition from surrounding nations and because of getting distracted by their own personal projects, they'd put building the temple on hold. And it's then that the prophet Haggai hears from God five times over a four-month period, and he faithfully delivers the messages he receives. And the first message he delivers is one of challenge. The people are busy building their own houses and have forgotten God's. So God speaks through Haggai to the guys in charge. That's Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest, saying, these people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled house while this house remains a ruin? That's a pretty direct rebuke. And to their credit, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all the people respond, and they obey. They, start, they go up into the mountains, they bring down timber and things to help build the temple. And once that's in process, God speaks to Haggai again, giving a simple but powerful message, which we find again in chapter 1. It says, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. So God gives a message saying, I'm with you. It's simple, but it's powerful. And we see that the governor, the high priest, and all the people had their spirits stirred by the Lord. And now we come to our reading for tonight, which you can find on the Bibles in front of you, um, as long as you aren't in the front row, which is um, from Haggai. Go on. Everybody knows where that is, right? No, I always have to flip. I can never find it. Anyway, it's on page 948. And while you look, I'm going to have a drink. So, Haggai, chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, on page 948. It says, In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, we know exactly when it was, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. 
So the spirit stirred and the people responded, but then it wasn't long before they needed this word of encouragement to keep going. They needed this encouragement because it was hard work, because of the opposition they were experiencing, but specifically they needed encouragement because some of them remembered the way things used to be. As it says there in verse three, who of you, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? God knew and he understood what they were feeling. But instead of telling them off for it, he gives them a pep talk and he reminds them of what's really important. Not the impressive size and splendor of the previous temple, but of his covenants with them that went back much further and his promise to always be with them by his spirit. Now, the problem is a covenant and a promise aren't something you can touch with your hands and see with your eyes in the same way a magnificent building can be touched and seen. It's also a lot easier to impress your neighbors and intimidate your enemies with your wealth and strength if you can show them what you're able to build. Whereas just saying, our God made a covenant with us and his spirit is always with us. It doesn't feel like it commands the same amount of respect somehow. But again, that's because of our limited capacity as human beings and our tendency to focus on what we can see and touch in the here and now, rather than understanding that the spiritual world is more real, more substantial, and much more, for, much more far-reaching than we know. So God speaks to his people, telling them to be strong because he's with them. It's what he covenanted with them when they came out of slavery in Egypt, and his spirit remains among them. Do not fear, he says. I would say we all need this encouragement. As the spirit stirs and we start something with God, it can be all too easy to get distracted, to get discouraged, to get disappointed. The good news is that God is still in the business of encouraging. His message to be strong, that his spirit is with us, do not fear, is as relevant and true today as it was when Haggai spoke it two and a half thousand years ago. Now, it's been my privilege to be able to be with Christians in many different parts of this country as well as other parts of the world. And the message that God is often speaking to people wherever I go is one of be strong, I am with you. Don't fear, trust me. He speaks it because it's what we need to hear. He speaks it because it's what keeps us going. In my own situation, back when I first came to the UK, as I was telling you about the tears and the clouds, when I was at my low point, God encouraged me through a word by a prophet, um, from a prophet named Alwyn. He was a part of a team that came to do some teaching at our church in Morton. Now, as I shared last week, I told the story last, uh, last year when I was speaking on prophecy. Alwyn had a word for me that he gave to my husband, Paul. He couldn't give it to me personally because I'd refused to go to the conference. As I said, I was busy blaming God for my current homesickness, and that was manifesting itself, that was manifesting itself as unhappiness, so I certainly wasn't going to give God the satisfaction of going to a conference. I mean, I really showed him, didn't I? Um, anyway, Alwyn told Paul he had a picture. He'd never met me, didn't know me at all, but Alwyn, this guy, told Paul, I have a picture of, uh, for your wife. And um, he said to him, Paul, I see you, you're in a tower, and your wife, that's me, uh, is on the ground, and there's no possible way that she can get in the tower with you. But over time, the tower is going to get lower and lower and lower until she can get, along, get in alongside you. Now, as I admitted last year when, I, when um, Paul passed this on to me, I didn't react as graciously as I could have. Um, but 
Although my reaction wasn't very gracious inside, I was encouraged because I knew God saw how I was feeling and he was giving me hope for the future. And that is just one of the many, many times that God's spoken his encouragement into my life right up to last Sunday afternoon. I looked at my emails and I had an email from um, someone who's really more of an acquaintance and she said, I have this picture as I was praying for you. And um, it was really, really encouraging for me because, well, I needed that encouragement because although I've come such a long way, like everyone else, I still have times when I find it harder than others. And the week before last was one of those times and God, through this person, encouraged me. And God will do the same for you. He will speak encouragement and hope, sometimes out of the blue, like the email that I received. Sometimes if someone is praying for you, so it's always good to get prayer. Or when you're in time of prayer on your own, so it's always good to pray and leave space to listen. It could be through reading your Bible, so it's always good to read your Bible. It could be through a dream, so it's always good to sleep. Now you can see where I'm going. Um, But seriously, God's spoken to me many times through dreams. It could be through a random stranger, through a random event. He will speak. But I do have to warn you, there may be times when you have to wait to hear it. The more we mature in the things of God, the more he will want us to use our own spiritual muscles to encourage ourselves in him, to remember for ourselves who he is and who we are in him. So we may have to wait, but it will come. Or it may be that what he says isn't exactly what you want to hear. Um, For instance, if what you're desiring isn't really God's best for you, or it doesn't line up with his word. I've experienced that myself. But God knows best. He does speak, and he is faithful, and he is much more powerful than we realize. As it says from our reading in verse 6, God says, I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and the desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory. He then goes on in verse 9, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place, I will grant peace. Now, I think that must have been difficult for those hearing the message the first time it was given to get their heads around because they knew the new temple would not be nearly as glorious as Solomon's temple had been. But from our perspective, thousands of years later, remember nations and generations, we know the greater glory is all about Jesus. Jesus, God as man, who gave up the perfection of heaven to live as one of us, so that through his life, his death and resurrection, the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out on all people would be possible. When we give our lives to follow Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit who comes to live in us as our counselor, our guide and teacher, our comforter, our peace. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place, I will grant peace. The fact is, whatever nation and generation we belong to, as long as we're alive in this world, we need encouragement and we need peace. Our world is crying out for it. And we know that both of those things are on offer to us because God, through Jesus, has made a way. 